Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of Your Beautiful Day on the Gratitude Radio Network and also the Neil Haley Show syndicated all over the world. And I'm excited to welcome the program. My co-host, Pearl Sharenza. Pearl, how are you? You've been we've been going solo without Jen. Sometimes we do it without without Pearl and sometimes without Jen, but always with me. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks, Neil. I love you know, it's fun. You get a little mix up. It's a it's a lot of fun to be able to do that and so i'm really excited because this is like my wheelhouse i loved i always need help with this subject matter so i'm so excited for our guest that we have today who is barbara yoles and she's with ludwig plus and we're going to talk about marketing and especially in this time with COVID, like the marketing tools and what's a great strategy so i'm excited plus she's also a woman on business so you know for me that's really up my wheelhouse so i'm excited welcome barbara Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So we'll go with Pearl's first question. I'll go follow up, but I, I could pick her brain for hours just because I have no marketing background. I mean, I, I have a digital marketing tech company and I'm a branding expert, but I have no marketing background. I learned it all self-taught. So it's always interesting to look at it a different thing when she's defining CMO and all that stuff. Cause that business world acumen, probably two years, I was on my own for 10 and now work for a company, but also have multiple businesses, but it's very interesting. So go ahead, Pearl, with your first question, but I have a lot of questions for Barbara. I'm right there with you. And I have tons of questions myself, but I think the first, let's start out with CMO and what is, what is that? So those who are listening that might not know what that title means. Well, you know, I always, I, people say, well, you know, where'd you come from and how'd you become CMO? And um, I always say, have, did you ever see Mad Men? You know, did you ever watch the yeah, show? I've Mad watched Men? only a little bit of it, but I want to go through all of it. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. they featured two agencies, McCann Erickson and Campbell Ewald. I worked at both of them. Um, and I would say advertising hasn't changed a lot since then. That was, uh, you know, in the 60s, probably, except for the fact that people don't smoke in conference rooms. Um, and I guess today a woman can be CEO, right? So that's probably the biggest difference. Um, and I thought I, you know, I worked my way up through the agency world and became the CMO of two large agencies. And I thought I had the greatest job in the world until Adweek came out with an article that said the worst job in advertising was CMO, right? Wow. And in a lot of companies, CMO is one of the most important positions in a company because, um, you know, you're driving brand and you're driving business growth, um, but you're also, you've got a bullet on your back, right? And so Bill Bernbach, a famous ad guy always said, you know, there's the, the uh, promise of sex or the threat, the, the threat of death, right? And so as a CMO, you're kind of faced with that, right? And you want to make sure that you come in and you're going to be able to make a difference and make a mark at the company that you're leading marketing for and driving brand and business growth. See, and that's the hardest part, Barbara. I think many uh, companies do not have a good marketing team. And this is the right off the bat talking corporate world, talking, talking the business world, not talking, you mm -hmm. know, certain personal brands. Some of them have really good marketing teams. Well, that's why they're so such such a success. But when you talk about a company that has internally have hired somebody to be the marketing director, a lot of times they don't have enough marketing experience really to run that company, especially if you're looking at uh, self-starters, like meetings like, um, you know, er early stage companies in so many ways. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of the challenges is that you have to really look at a brand from the inside out um, and really look at what's the, the DNA of a brand and what makes up that brand, the people, the behaviors, the purpose, the mission. And if you can tap that and unearth that, 
Um, that actually can activate what your brand is and create a North Star for what your people are striving for. It becomes a filter by the way you do business. And so marketing and branding today is much more than creating a really catchy tagline or um, just putting an ad on TV. It's really about it's behavioral and it's yeah. something that you have to feel at every intersection of a company. And that's where great marketing happens. And I think to your point, Neil, a lot of people don't really think of it in, in those terms, right? It can be right. you know, exactly. from the receptionist all the way up to the CEO, right? Exactly. And marketing leads to sales. I don't care what anyone does. And you have to invest a lot in marketing to finally have that machine running sales and become a brand. If you don't spend money early, you're going to lose in the long run. It might not look like it's going to be a return on your investment at first. You have to stay the course and keep looking at it because ultimately what you build in your brand to become finally a brand takes a long time, especially when you're talking about a company that's a face of a logo, not a face of a personal business or a personal brand versus a marketing brand right. versus a company brand. And it's such yeah. a different so, so well, and I mean, look, here's the thing is that, you know, talking about being a CMO, you're under pressure, right? Yes. You've got to deliver, you've got to prove oh, your okay. value and make a mark, right? And so while it does take time to build a brand as a CMO, the lifespan is less than 24 months. In fact, I think the number right now is running around 20 months or less. So if you yeah. don't perform in 20 months, that's what CMOs lose sleep over, right? Because they need to deliver sales and drive revenue. And so that's, that's where um, the, pressure, the pressure point is, the pain points are. And on the flip side, the CMO should be about inspiration and aspiration and creating that North Star that people who work for you buy yeah. into and want to be part of and that your customers want to buy. And that's the challenge. All right, go Pearl, next question. But I think what we're leading down the road in this is how that, that pressure, why is there's not the success rate of staying a long time as a CMO, but go ahead, Jen, uh, go ahead, uh, Pearl, with your next question. Yeah. You, I mean, you said a lot of things there, Barbara, as a business owner myself, like I've been really through COVID, like really doing that whole pivoting and really digging deep and breaking down, you know, who my avatar and what she looks like and what she does. Right. And so now that I've narrowed her down and I know what Becky looks like now, it's like, how do I let the other Beckys of the world know? And so having a CMO while as an entrepreneur, it's not where I, you know, I don't have that CMO yet, but if for an entrepreneur, what would be the one thing taking your experience and saying, if there's one thing somebody starting out should do, what's the one thing that you suggest they should do? And then, and I'll let you do that question first. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is you really have to understand what your core purpose is, right? It's your why, right? What's your why? And if you can define your why, and most people focus on the how and the what, right? And if you can understand what your why is, then your people can buy into your why, um, your customers can buy into it, and then you build that brand from the inside out, right? It, we call it inside out transformation. And so it's really about who you are. And, you know, I came from fast food once upon a time. I was the okay. head of marketing for the East Coast of McDonald's. I was part of the team that launched the dollar menu. And McDonald's is selling hamburgers and French fries, right? And Wendy's is selling hamburgers and French fries and Burger King selling hamburgers and French fries. But each brand has a different core purpose, right? And the decisions that they make at those companies are very different. Wendy's would never think about cutting a tomato any thinner than a quarter of an inch because they'd lose their quality cue and that's what they stand for, right? Um, whereas Burger King is a little more irreverent and they may have different flavors and profiles, right? So that's why I think if you do one thing, know what your core purpose is and where you're headed, because if you can articulate that, then you can deliver it in your product development, in your service levels, in the way you build your product and deliver your product. That would be the number one thing. And then from there, obviously, there's a lot of uh, low hanging fruit to, to try to drive business growth. Absolutely. Why do many- so I, uh, Sorry, go ahead, Neil. No, I was gonna say, Barbara, why are many marketing agencies not able to deliver the, 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 the bang for the buck? Meaning that they just don't understand, they wanna be on a different playing field than sales. They don't wanna look at what they yeah. do 
and it's even such a, yeah, it's such a good question. You know, the agency world is very focused on delivering the ask of the client. Right. Um, where we've kind of brought a new proposition is really thinking about where the client and how do we drive growth? And there's more to driving growth, like I said earlier, than just running an ad on TV, right? Um, it might be re-engineering somebody's sales team. And so that aligns to what the brand's purpose is. Um, it could be re-engineering how somebody calls into a call center so that we can get them their product or their service or their whatever information they need quicker. And so today's world order, the brand is not just about an ad or um, a commercial or a theme line. It's really about experiences and the experiences people have. If, if you have people who are, who are exactly. delivering um, great service, then that can be a brand experience. That's, that's a great point. Go ahead, Pearl, with the next question. But I think that the, the fact of the matter is, I love hearing that why, because the why factor of why the company's around is what everything should be targeted based on it. For example, the company I'm with right now, Lensec, our demo is our best product. It's the thing that's not being seen enough. The demo shows that we're, even though we're a smaller company than many other VMSs, our demo makes what we are. So everything our marketing should be behind the demo because the demo right. is what leads to sales. Totally. But, and, you know, look, I was CMO of two large financial services companies, both wildly successful. They built their companies on the back of sales, hardcore outbound sales. When we installed marketing, it was exponential growth. They went, these are companies that went from uh, $8 billion to 108 billion, went from a portfolio of a hundred thousand customers to a half a million customers in a matter of 18 months. Why? because we were able to articulate and unearth the soul of that brand from the inside out and then make it touch every single touch point. Products were developed that way, technologies developed that way. That's where, to, you know, to your earlier point, Pearl, it's about the, the role of the CMO is really more about driving brand across every, every uh, you know, kind of uh, every corner of an organization. It's, it's way bigger than just a tagline. Right. Taglines are great. Don't get me wrong. You know, we've created no, no, it's got, it's got to live and breathe in everything. The problem we have sometimes is websites not aligned to the social media. Social media is not aligned to the, the, the other types of marketing trade shows and all that. Everything needs to be a cohesive unit. As you talked about before, let's go to the next question for Pearl, but I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree as well. So tell us Barbara, why CMOs have, you talked about earlier, why do they have that that short span life that's happened, that lifespan of shortness, what's happening there? You know, it, it really depends. I think, it, you know, there's a, a method to coming in and um, a lot of CMOs want to make sure that they've got, you know, good research in place. Um, they've got, you know, kind of an airtight business case before they take it to market. And I think in today's world, you have a lot more permission to get to market faster and you need to get to market faster because you're usually leaving money on the table. We're working on a project right now, brand new CMO. She just joined a huge company, huge financial services company, um, a brand that, that is probably should be well-known by many and isn't, right? They have a portfolio of 2 million customers. And wow. you know, she, she understands um, the, the need to get to market quickly because her business counterparts have wild, wild goals for 2021, double in size, right? Oh, and they're goodness. coming off of yeah. one of the strongest years in the, and this is in the uh, mortgage space. So wow. coming okay. off of one of the wildest years in mortgage, right? Rates haven't been this low in 50 and, and years. It's not going to be that way next year. Right. And so you need your brand in place because it's easy to do a mortgage when rates are low. It's hard to do a mortgage when rates go up. Right. So people have to buy into something. And so to your question, you know, why do CMOs, what makes them successful or not successful? It's the ones who come in with an eye to driving the business. You have to have an eye to driving the business and you have to, you have to have a sensibility around is that brand and that way you go to market going to accelerate the growth of a company, right. galvanize its people and create an internal rally cry that is felt and cascades out to its end consumers or end, whether it's B2B or B2C, right? 
and, and the marketing could destroy the whole thing if you don't have the right marketing in place. And there are not tons of CMOs all over the place. So why are some startups not have a CMO? They'll have a marketing director, but that's not really a CMO. Or they'll have a VP of marketing and sales. They don't. They go hand in hand, but really you need to have the right experience, right? To run a company in marketing. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think in the, you know, once upon a time in the old days, um, I, had, I worked I worked on a brand where we spent 18 months doing brand positioning work. You know, today we have technology. We can get to market in a week or two. We have research back from consumers so we know how they feel, right? And we what we try to do is marry the inside DNA with the quality of life that insights that a customer wants. And if we can do that quickly, we can get to market and continue to ideate and and build it out but you don't have to it, the days of you know i have to have the perfect campaign all packaged and ready to launch crazy. those days are gone right it, i mean you know you, you have an iphone and they come out and they're iterating and iterating exactly. and iterating we have permission to do that today so mvp is okay with your brand obviously you got to have certain elements in place but i think that's the barrier is a, a lot of cmos don't have um the infrastructure um, they need the backing of their CEO and yeah. they need to be able to understand, they need to dig into the business and look for where the business opportunity is and go quick, go for the low hanging fruit. There's, and that's where we start. We say, all right, we're going to build the brand, but what's the low hanging fruit that I can start moving the business right away so that I'm proving my value as a CMO within 90 days. I mean, when I became CMO of one financial services company, I brought the brand idea on day nine. We launched on day 97, right? It was, it was chronicled um, alongside a bunch of CMOs. And that's the key to success for a CMO and for a CEO who's, who's investing significant money in marketing. Because we all know marketing gets cut first. Exactly. And that's true. And they don't want to spend money in marketing. And that's the biggest mistake possible. Go Pearl with your next question. Yeah, that's where I, I mean, that's my, for me, I'm always about marketing. Like how can I market myself? And, and I've got some people go social media here, here, here. Right. So like, no, I can't be in 20 spaces. I can't manage, I, you know, right now I don't have a CMO, which I'm actually starting to talk to somebody about that. So if you were to say like, what are you finding? What was that? We should talk. We need to talk. I would love to talk. But yeah. so if you were to say like, cause I'm like you, I want to go my low hanging fruit. That's where I'm going right now. I know my client base. I know where they're kind of hanging out right now. So social media wise with COVID and everything that's happening, what are you seeing a trend? Are you seeing any new trend with it? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously people are spending more time with social media, a lot oh. more time. They're spending a lot more time with um, television actually and programmatic. Um, they're online a lot more. Um, so we're seeing, you know, increase in marketing for sure. Um, social is a great place to start because I don't care what business you're in. People go online to check you out all the time, right? It's, uh, it's online word of mouth. So at a minimum, if you do anything, make sure you have a strong online reputation and you do that through reviews, through ratings, through social media, and, and not just about your product, shed light on who you are, right? It's this whole notion of inside out transformation. Make sure people know who you are on the inside, what, how your company works, that you're a good corporate citizen, that you have a core purpose and mission. So they have something to buy into because they look at companies as um, a representation of who they are That's right. and how they fit in their life. And so with COVID, I think, um, that is just like the stakes are even higher and the entry point is, is more, um, the, has lowered, right? So it allows you to get into the game without a lot of cost out of the gate. Exactly. It's just really figuring out who your customer is or who your client is. That's the biggest problem. They cr people create something yet they don't know who to go to, who is the low hanging fruit. And I'm sure what you're bringing up in marketing is, we found that customer. How do we find that customer so they see our brand, right? When yeah. you're talking low-hanging fruit. Totally, right? So it's two things. Know who you are, know who your customer is, and what's that sweet spot between the two? And that's where the transformation occurs. That's where the business acceleration happens. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like before all this and, you know, with COVID, I, I mean, I had... 
a goal was in like 2025 to do, I do women's retreats every year, they're pajama retreats. So my goal was 2025 to do a West Coast one. Well, because of this COVID, you know, the great thing for me is I've done so much Zoom and with Neil's help, I've actually got a 2020, 2022 West Coast retreat coming now. So yeah, it's just been remarkable that yeah, low hanging great fruit. to hear that my help. I didn't even- Yes, it's that. all your help, Neil. <laughs> no, it tells me. No, you're <laughs> That's why Barbara wants to have a conversation with me to say, and probably uh, recruit me. But the fact of the matter is the thing online, so many people don't understand online. And I think that lots of people that took marketing courses and went through marketing do not understand the online world, Barbara. And I think that's the other challenge, right? For a CMO now is to really understand how to navigate online, especially if they were doing more trade shows and trade shows have disappeared and all these things. How do we do that? Like, I think the online trade shows don't work. So you spend more money on social media marketing. You could target more. You can really find your customer and spend more money and probably have a better result. Look, digital brings so much one-to-one -one communication, right? And obviously it depends on the category you're in, right? Certain highly regulated categories, you have some limitations. Um, but the great thing about online and digital is if you know who your customers are, if you have a database of customers, you can find them online, right? You can upload your database right into Facebook or LinkedIn or whichever platform you're on and get a match rate and speak directly to your customer, right? So that's huge. That's a huge way. And it's trackable. So, you know, back to, um, you know, the life of a CMO, you want proof. You want exactly. to deliver results. You want to show that, you know, I'm not just putting, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows out there, but exactly. I'm actually delivering, you know, the sale. And when you're a CMO, you better have the marketing budget to be successful. Because if you take that gig and they're not, and when you're in that interview process and you're not given the keys, you're not going to have success. Right, Barbara? And then I'm going to go Very right true. Yeah. No, I, I have a, a lot of uh, colleagues and clients and friends who are in CMO positions. And you have to have alignment with the CEO of the company. And that and we, we work that way. We actually come in as if we're a, um, we operate as if we are the CMO of our clients' businesses. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the key questions is what commitment do we have to drive the business and what commitments from a budgetary standpoint, from resources, um, allowing us to infiltrate and interrogate the organization to find those nuggets of content that we can push out that everybody else says, oh, you know, that's just what we do regularly. No, that's content. I'm going to push it on social, right? Um, you know, whoever thought I could find some content from an underwriter. Exactly. Right? Never thought that. Yeah. Um, there's content, you know, on the French fry line of a fast food restaurant, right? There's content everywhere. And so and you've you got you need to have that support and buy-in, yeah. both budget, human resources, and kind of a no holds bar back way of, it, you know, kind of, um, you know, looking at every corner of an organization to find those gold nuggets. Our right, next question. Yeah, go ahead, Pearl. Next question. I used to do mortgages, Barbara. That was my other world. And I used to do the, the pre-underwriting. And so I would have clients go, why are you asking for that? I would go, listen, like when you're arrested, you're innocent until proven guilty. In my world, you're guilty until I prove you innocent, you know? So so they're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> but um, so so with the, with the changes and everything, is there one, like, I, I just learned something new with LinkedIn. I didn't know that you could upload your, your clients into LinkedIn, LinkedIn like that. So that's a really great tool. Yeah, it's a great tool. Um, I, think, I think the other thing I would highlight is, you know, finding an emotional, humanizing a brand, right? People want to buy into something. Exactly. You know, it's not just, you know, people say, oh, well, what does that mean? Well, you know, you buy a bottle of water, you pay a dollar, good value, right? But you want a certain brand of water, you know, maybe you like Fiji or smart exactly. water, whatever it is. Right. And that, that commands more because you're buying into what that, that brand is about. And that's where that, that um, connection point comes between a company and its end consumer. So and let's talk about critical ingredient. 
let's talk about your business, meaning you yeah. took from being a CMO to becoming the CMO of other companies that can't hire that CMO. You're almost like that consultant that comes in, like in, uh, I forget that one HBO sh uh, show where they come in and they, they fix everything and come in and tell you, hey, you need to fix this, this, yeah. and this. You're here to fix, help. That. I think it was more like Power Rangers and really cute outfits. Okay. Okay. We'll go with that. Let's just explain exactly if you are a business list watching or listening right now, how you can help them and who are, who are you looking for? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we're, we're kind of a perfect solution for companies who are kind of going through this decision making process of, do I hire an ad agency or do I build my own in-house marketing department? And what we've created is the best of both worlds, right? The in-house marketing department typically has more sense around the business, the strategy, how to accelerate business, can really get into every department corner of the company. And then the ad agency world is a you know, magnet for the top, most creative talent. And because of my role being CMO on the corporate side and having been CMO on the agency side, we constructed a concept where we marry those two worlds together and we come in and we operate as if we're outsourced. It's, it's more analogous to say you hire outsourced general counsel, people hire us, we come in, we operate as if we are the marketing department. Um, I work directly with the CEO and in most cases, uh, a lot of our clients don't have internal marketing departments. And if they do, we work hand in hand with them as if we're one big team. So we bring in an expertise around strategy and business, but we also bring all the creativity and the ability to produce anything from, you know, a digital asset to um, big brand ideas to a sales team playbook, right? We're thinking through the, the full circle. So we've had a lot of success. We're just over a year old. We, we won uh, Stevie Awards, Company of the Year, Female Executive of the Year. Um, I'm proud to say we're closing the year, double our size. We were 12 months and by the end of first quarter, we'll be uh, triple our size. Well, congrats. And I Very mean, exciting. I could see it's such, so needed. And a lot of people can't hire a marketing team that would cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars while bringing someone in, but then also bring the results as well. And, and say, that's Let's so the sale, Neil, right? Most companies don't can't afford a three, four or $5 million marketing department, right? right. So we come in and we give them that same team, the highest caliber of talent at a fraction of the cost. So very it's good. a very new concept. We're very excited about it. It definitely seems like it. All right, Pearl, with that final question for Barbara and Barbara, definitely stick around after the interview's over. We want to chat for a couple of minutes, but go ahead, Pearl, with that final question. So Barbara, we always love to know, and it's, I, I'm sure you've got plenty, but we always love to know what is a moment of gratitude that you can think of? I, I probably can name a couple and just listen to you today, but share with us a moment of gratitude for yourself and your, in, with the audience. Gosh, I mean, I think the, 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 greatest, the, the greatest moment for me this year was closing out our year as a, a one year old, just over one year old company, um, being a woman owned, agency in a in a industry that is you know very few women-owned companies um, and being able to make such impact and I'm just so proud of the team um, they've won you know over 12 awards this year and for me I'm just I'm grateful we couldn't do this without the people at Ludwig plus um, and so um, I have huge huge gratitude for everyone on our team it's all about our people Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, so um, Pearl, another great show for sure. Barbara, where can we check you out and find more information on you? Where can we go? Yeah. Ludwigplus.com. L-U-D-W-I-G-P-L-U-S.com. And uh, we're, we're headquartered in the greater Detroit area. So we got a lot of fantastic, wicked, amazing talent. Fantastic. Wow. What a great show again. A great show of simulcast. Thank you, Pearl, again, for being my co-host. And that was, again, your beautiful day on the Gratitude Radio Network and also the Neil Haley Show. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. 
Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit Lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 vaccine show. I'm excited to welcome to the program the host of the show, Dr. Mark Hayden. Uh, Dr. Mark, how are you? And uh, the news of the vaccine, every time things look like we're in, we're in great shape with this vaccine, some they throw us another monkey into monkey wrench into this opportunity to finally not talk vaccine anymore. That's exactly right. I mean, it's a... Uh... First, they say it's an emergency, but hey, guess what? We're not going to test. We're not going to really push things to the limit. And, you know, they created Operation Warp Speed, but then Warp Speed really got taken over by the big, big pharma. And what we wound up with is a uh, eight, nine, 10, 11 months later is a vaccines that are not proven to stop death in the elderly. And so that's where we're at. Absolutely. So let's kind of let's let, so so what is up with this new strain of the virus that's uh, that, that's come out in the UK and shutting down the UK, but yet they're concerned it's already come in to Amer America. You know, we know from the flu vaccine when we I get a flu vaccine and I've got one for years because when I go in the hospital, it's kind of mandatory. Uh, if you see people in the emergency room, you're supposed to get a flu vaccine. And, you know, even though I was an independent contractor at the time as an ER physician and not an employee, it was just assumed that, you know, you, you, you join the team and get your flu vaccine. But even I knew that when I got the flu vaccine, that it probably wouldn't protect me from the flu. And one year uh, when I got the flu vaccine, I actually had two separate cases of flu. What happens with the flu vaccine is there's about 500 million cases a year ordinarily of the flu. And there are so many mutations of the flu that even though they give you 20 different serotypes in the flu vaccine, it's probably not going to cover the serotype that actually runs through the community. So it really, it's really more um, psychological, I guess. It's almost a placebo than anything else. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And I think that uh, uh, you're, you're, you're so right about that. And so, but what about this, this strain? What is your biggest concern about the strain in the UK? You know, months ago, I, I realized, and most people realized, that I, I heard an accurate statement was that coronavirus is likely here to stay, that it will begin to mutate, and it has begun to mutate. And I, uh, I read some of the, the documents that were published over in, I think, uh, BioRx, I'll send you a copy of it. Basically, the spike protein, which is what antibodies to, that has mutated. Now, they don't know whether the new mutation, it's not been proven that the new mutation is more fatal. However, they do know that, on, that it is spread more effectively than the old version. And so what is happening in the community, it's growing faster than the old version and it is more transmissible. We also don't know whether these quote, quote, vaccines, end quote, that have taken so many months 
to, to prepare will even be effective on this mutation. Plus, you, once you begin to understand that these mutations are occurring by the hundreds, we still don't know that there's other more mutations out there that will not be covered uh, by these new vaccines and are, are likely to appear. Uh, so this looks like it's not disappearing for a while then. That's pretty much correct. That's correct. Yes, pretty much so. Yes. So that the concern I have is the fact is that will this vaccine work for the new um, strain of this virus? You know, they didn't even prove that it stops death for the old version of the virus. What they proved is the Pfizer vaccine reduced some of the symptoms seven days after the second shot. That's the only conclusion. And the FDA basically said that it's something's better than nothing. And uh, here you go. Uh, there are some things that are out in the, that are out in the pipeline that are going to be better. I think you're going to see Vaxart. I think you're going to see Altimmune. I think you're going to see things that stimulate mucosal responses. And the CDC and FDA have been kind of slow to pick up the ball on some of that, but they're starting to get more funding for Altimmune and Vaxart. Uh, they did not. They kind of dragged their feet on. Um, inoculation, which I did, uh, but I think you're going to see and hear more of it. One of the th things we need to do is count our blessings. It could have been that we had a virus that was like smallpox. 25% of the people died with smallpox. We haven't seen anything like that. You know, the worst uh, coronavirus ever got was like one, two or three percent. We didn't have, you know, 10, 15 percent death rates or 25 percent death rates. And so the good news is that we haven't encountered that yet. The bad news is, is that we haven't developed rapid response methods. Yes. To even respond to something like that. And so, that's, that's yeah. tragic. No, I mean, I, th it is tragic, but it's like a concern I have is that let's just say that it doesn't the vaccine has not been proven yet. So that you cannot, it's it's transmissible for sure, even after the second shot, but there's not been a proven fact that this is going to stop people from getting COVID-19. How, why is that? Uh, you know, to, to develop a new vaccine, to inoculate it, you've got to try it out on a new people, you've got to go through all process, it's a long period of time. Now that's very different from inoculation. If you sent me to England right now, I could go to those people. I could put that, which is a coronavirus, in a enteric-coated capsule, and I could swallow it. My immune system could develop antibodies to the new version. And I could do all that within a week or 10 days. Now, I should be concerned about the death rate for the people who inhale it. But does inoculation work? even with mutations? And the answer to that is, does absolutely. And so when we get things that are mutating fast, it really makes inoculation as an option much more appealing. Does that, does that make sense, Neil? It, it, makes, it makes sense. And, um, it, and I just don't know. I mean, it's just years it takes for that vaccine, right? Years. Yeah, often these, these things take years and years. For instance, I'll give you a prime example, and we're not just talking COVID here. My daughter had influenza A, and she, I don't think she, it may have existed influenza A that was run through the local community. My daughter was doing the um, COVID swabs along with the flu swabs, and somebody accidentally infected her with influenza A. Well, I took that influenza A, put it in a capsule, swallowed it, Guess what? No symptoms. And yet my intestines began to develop immunity. I did that just a week ago. Now, to some degree, that was anticipated that your intestinal tract could be used to develop immunity on a broad list of, 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 of viruses. And But really it is, we need systems that can respond to even dangerous changes very rapidly. And we haven't seen that type of response yet from the CDC, the FDA, or 
really for any, for that matter, any, anywhere else in the world, we need very rapid response teams for an emergency. How about that? So, okay. So the new strain of the COVID-19, when are we going to find out these strains are as dangerous? You know, what we'll do is right now, here's what you would say in London, because the new strain is spreading faster than the old strain. The new strain is accounting for most of the deaths. Okay. Because even if the death rate was the same, the strain that is people are infected with would be mostly caused by the new strain. And one of the things we know too about the vaccines is the vaccines have not been proven. The current vaccines we have, which is Pfizer and Moderna, have not been proven to stop transmissibility. They're intramuscular. So guess what? These, these viruses will continue to go right through the people that were vaccinated. They're still transmissible. If, and that is why, guess what? They still have to wear masks. So if it's still transmissible, are they really stopping the transmission of the virus? No. Are they stopping the pandemic? No. Are they reducing symptoms for the people not vaccinated? Yes. Really stopping death rate in the people that got vaccinated? Maybe yes, maybe no. Do you expect another shutdown? So, so based on this, we're, we're, we'll find out just based on the numbers. If we start seeing more transmission and more cases, yeah. that really this is this this is a bad thing, or this might just be um, the, another form of the virus that's less deadly. Yeah, I, I think you find eventually that there are forms of that virus that are that that the coronavirus per se is going to be spread probably the rest of this year. It may mutate. It may have some forms that are actually more deadly. It raises a lot of issues. Now, all that having been said, um, if you need to prepare for the worst and hope for the best, I did not shut down my personal economy. I still see people without a face mask that have coronavirus. But that the only reason that happens is learned and prepared itself. You know, what we need to do is I think country we need to not shut down the economy. We need to learn more and do more basic sciences research. And that applies around the world. We need to do more viral research. We need to investigate many of the things that I did personally. Uh, you know, I actually swallowed SARS coronavirus and done it multiple times. I did it just yesterday. And uh, besides, I did have a little gas in the last 24 hours, but besides that, no real problems, a little, little, little gassy. But a regular big company like Pfizer, Moderna, can't give their employees live virus. That's a real problem. The FDA doesn't give any of its personnel live virus that can be fatal. That's a problem. And let me tell you, you can't learn unless you experiment with real people and real virus. And we still are not able, we still don't have the protocols in effect that if there was a mutation in coronavirus that caused 25% death rate, that we would begin to experiment on right. volunteers. We don't have that. All right. Well, uh, let's just see what happens. But I mean, I think that what, when will we have it? What about your oral vaccine? Is there a possibility of getting it in other countries? What are, what, what, what's the news on that end? You know, Neil, in the United States, the way the laws are written, anybody that I give medical advice to anywhere in the United States has a right to try to sue me. So that if I have a medical license in, and I have medical license in two states, I don't want to be sued by everybody in the United States who might do inoculation and not do it properly. However, that having been said, if I lived in outside the United States and I understood what inoculation is, it is the safest, most effective way to acquire intestinal immunity 
that provides the broadest how, long, how but how many capsules do you think you need to take a year to be immune you know if for instance i think it is relatively safe for anybody and i'm going to use the words outside the united states that if somebody in their household has coronavirus or even the flu if they have coronavirus or the flu to take their saliva put it in a capsule and and put it in another capsule, wash it off and swallow it. If you're in the same household as somebody who has a respiratory virus, your odds are at least 40 to 60% that you're gonna get it. A lot of these households are real small. You know, sometimes in, in the United States that we have like 2000 square feet in a house, but in a lot of countries, you're talking four or 500 square feet in a house. The people are very close together. It's going to spread throughout that family and those other family members need to inoculate themselves. And it really, even the people that are infected and actually have an active infection probably benefit from putting it in an enteric capsule and swallowing it. That's, that's auto inoculation. So there are a lot of different applications for uh, inoculation. And that I think during the coming year, during the year 2021, we'll be getting a lot of attention because that is a pathway with historical efficiency. It was effective and it can be used for these mutations that occur very rapidly. So literally you could put me in London, in downtown London, get me the first person with coronavirus and hey, guess what? 14 days from now, I'll be immune to it because I did inoculation, oh so simple. And hey, guess what? For the people that are in London that might be hearing this broadcast, guess what? If you if somebody is in your household and they have that new version, you can't get you can't get a guarantee of any vaccine being effective, but using an intestinal intestinal inoculation is your best way to go. All right. Well, another great show. You have two websites people can go to, and also. Uh, Dr. Mark Hayden official. Uh, you can check out Dr. Mark Hayden on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but also your websites. Tell us the websites. You know, I have www.antivirusair.com. And one on that website, we covered that it is an aerosol. It's ionized. It's a electrostatic forces control the spread of that virus. That was ignored by the CDC and by the World Health Organization for quite some time. Finally, they admitted it is aerosol spread. Uh, and then we also have another www.digestivecovid.com. And both of those websites were ahead of their time. And they were based on accurate scientific information that was largely ignored. And I appreciate you, Neil, and I appreciate Wynn Henderson the, the opportunity to present these people. Yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to present doom and gloom. And, and no, I think you, you uh, can't, you, you have to, in certain ways, be the truth. And that's the important thing to look at. And I think that ultimately the vaccine is what the vaccine is. And uh, we're going to know more next week about the, the different forms of this, but ultimately to protect ourselves, if we have, to, if we're going to be forced to take the vaccine and that's what the COVID vaccine on COVID-19 vaccine shows about, and I appreciate your expertise and giving it to us today. Hey, thanks, Neil, and I appreciate the chance to talk to you. All right, that was the COVID-19 vaccine show, guys. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service, and we have another great guest. Most definitely, yeah, and especially during an exciting time during Christmas and um, a time where the, you know, the nation is, is, is coming together and, and celebrating. So uh, I'm very excited uh, to uh, welcome her to the show today. Hi, how are you? All right, so that's fantastic to have her on the program. And Dr. Hall, what's your first question for Brandy? Well, no problem. Uh, let me go ahead and um, I'd like to, again, like to introduce um, uh, an author who has books on Amazon, um, her local newspaper. She's also uh, been on Newsbreak. Uh, she is the author of, of a number of children's books, uh, at least three, more in the writing. I'd like to welcome to the show, Ms. Brandy Raynaud. Welcome to the show, Brandy. Hi, how are you, Dr. Hall? Doing great. All right, Dr. I'm Hall. doing good myself. It's going to be great to awesome. hear her story and everything, so go ahead and ask the first question, Dr. Hall. Uh, no problem. Well, you know, uh, Brandy, I was kind of looking at your bio for a little bit, and I believe that, you know, you have this, you know, you're a photographer, but I was uh, interested in finding out um, your interest as an author and how did you start writing and, and, and tell us about that and why did you start to write these books? I have um, been writing poetry since I was a little girl, and I had uh, a few teachers in high school that was became very interested in my writing. And after I had children, I started writing stories for them. I would write stories for bedtime. I would write, you know, stories that we were going in, if they were dealing with any type of situation or having trouble sleeping at night or just having a problem at school, I usually can help them understand the situation and get through it by writing them a little story about it. So once my mom passed away in March of 2019, my three kids were having a really hard time dealing with her debt. Um, I had my dad passed away in November of 2018. They took that pretty hard, me as well. And in March of 2019, my mom passed away from breast cancer. So it became a lot for all of us. And at nighttime, my kids would, they would cry for my mom a lot. And so that's when I came up with the story, Granity Unstoppable for them. And I wrote Granity Unstoppable. It's it's sort of um, a granny that becomes a superhero. She's a superhero angel, and she comes to save the children um, from different situations that they encounter after she has passed away. And they pray, and granny shows up. And that's kind of how the stories just took off for my kids. I write all of my stories for my kids. See, I love that because you're writing for your kids, but then you know that they like it, then other people are going to like it as well. Other kids, right? They're a great audience to you know, kind of uh, test it out for, towards, but you're writing it in for, for their purpose, but you know other kids will like it as well. Yes, they are really tough critics. They are like tough little critics. So I'll write a story for them. Um, just say there ain't no reindeer on the bayou. I wrote that for Christmas um, in 2019 for them. And I will read a story. I will read the story to them. And if they hold their attention the first time, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my story doesn't. And they'll just kind of stray away and, you know, just walk away from it. But if if I read the story to them and it really catches their attention, like they can't move and they keep wanting more of the story, I know it's really good. I know I have a good one, but if they, if it doesn't catch their attention, I work on it a little more until I can get their attention. And they are really tough on me. They'll be like, mama, this story, this story is not a good one. Mama, you can do some, mama, why, why she's not flying or mama, mama, this, this is not a funny story, you know? So they'll tell me that they're honest with me. And so I, I go from their judgment of the books with the, with how, how I think it should, the story should go. That's pretty awesome, wow. that's all. Next question. It is. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, no problem. I mean, you know, you know, Brandy's such an inspiring author. And, you know, I think one of the things that we, 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 we learn as we get older is, you know, our first role models are really, you know, kind of our family, our mother, father, you know, again, grandparents. And so this particular story, Grand Unstoppable, again, you know, uh, the, the grandmother has an illness and uh, 
what kind of what principles do you think that your children actually learn from this book, and what principles can uh, you know our children here in America learn from from this book? What do you think? Uh, you tell me, Brandy. Granny Unstoppable. A lot of the book is true, and I needed to my children to understand um, that hurting is okay. People, you know, grandparents especially, I think that they don't get enough credit. I think that I didn't give my mom enough credit while she was here. So in the book, I, you know, I talk about my mom having breast cancer and I talk about her passing away and I need them to understand that it's okay. These things, you know, that she's still with us, her memory, we we can still feel her. Granny is still here. And they were to the point at nighttime, my children would cry uncontrollably for my mom and it was nothing that I can put that I could have told them to calm them down. My little boy even at one time told me, um, he was so mad once my mom passed away, he told me, Mama, you gonna tell me where my granny went. I need to go by my granny. And it's no matter how much I tried to explain heaven to them, they 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 were just like, No, she needs to be here. So the book I think helped children cope with the loss. It helps them to understand it's okay. Granny is gone, but she's still with you. She's with you um, in your heart. Granny is still here. So I think that it helps children to understand that, to be okay with it, to to really just, it's okay to cry. It's okay to show your emotions. I was not expecting all of those emotions from my children. I really could not handle it. I didn't, I didn't know, and I, I think that a lot of parents feel the way that I do. When we lose a parent, it's really hard for us to understand what's happening. And, but it's me. It was hard for me to understand, especially losing both of my parents in such a, long, a short time. It was hard for me to understand what was happening, and it was even more difficult for my children to understand it. And I, I knew that it would, I knew that my mom was going to pass away and I knew that it would be hard for them to deal with her debt, but I didn't, I didn't expect them to have such strong feelings about it. I didn't expect them to be so angry about it. And the book helped them. The book helped them to be able to sleep at night. Once I, it came to the point I was reading Brandy Unstoppable every night for months. Every night I had to, I had to make, I, I used it to help them go to sleep. So I think that Granted Unstoppable with any child with losing any relative, a sibling, anything, I think Granted Unstoppable can help them. I, it helped my kids, at least. It helped my kids with um, their loss. See, and that's great. I think that's such a great thing because what it brings to the table is that um, you can now, now are being a helping others through that process. Many kids don't understand when they lose a loved one, especially when we're going through what we're going through now with COVID-19, where there's some unexpected loss for certain people. They now can use a book like this to help people through this because people dying at certain ages or losing grandparents that they just didn't expect. They just went through this horrible health problem and out of nowhere have died. How to teach kids to deal with death is such an important thing and I'm glad you're doing that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I really had no choice but to do it. Um, like I said, writing is the way that I have always expressed myself from a little girl and with my writing, that was really the only way I knew how to help my children. It, because it, no matter how I tried to explain it, maybe you know, I wasn't fully understanding things, so I was trying to make them understand, and it wasn't working. It really wasn't working. My children were angry, and they um they just couldn't understand where both of their grandparents went. In such a short time, they just went away, and the book was the only way I knew how to help them. I um They were screaming one night, and I just jumped up, and I said, she's coming back, y'all, and it went from there, and my mom became Granny Unstoppable, and that book helped my children every night go to sleep. Every night. I I was thinking of all kinds of ways that Granny could save the day. My little boy got bullied in school one time, and I wrote, um, that's 
volume two of Granity Unstoppable. It's three parts. Each one of my children have their own personal book. And my little boy got bullied and he wouldn't talk to me about it. So I wrote um, another Granity Unstoppable book for him and he was able to be okay with it. He was able to be okay because he would have talked to my mama. And it was crazy because my mama was all of our mama and we were all lost. Me and my kids were lost without her. Yes, Brandy. Thank and where's you. the best place we can check out information on your books and stuff? Are they available on Amazon? Do you have a website as well? Yes, so you can also go to my website, brandy-books.com, and you may order the books from um, there, and you also may order, order them from Amazon. Well, fabulous. Thanks for stopping by. Really love it. And I, that the alligator thing, I just get such a kick out of. That's so cool. Uh, what a holiday book for people, especially in Louisiana, but also people that love gators, especially in Florida and places like that. Get a, a you know, Santa Claus across the world, different Santa Clauses, almost like a, a different culture in certain ways, just like in other parts of the world, how they look at Santa Claus or St. Nick. So great, great idea, great creativity. And thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, that was the Dr. Christopher Hall show. Take care, everyone. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.